just to let you know a little in advance about two rather unusual things that are likely to take place while I'm giving the message, positive things. And that is at a certain point, when we're going through outline four, uh, I will stop and we will sing a very precious hymn, because that hymn uh, exactly matches the content of the message, and it also enlightens us and supplies us regarding our church life together. And then you see the outline is only one page. Uh, That doesn't mean it's going to be, oh, just a 35-minute message. No, because early this morning, as I was outwardly just taking care of human things, inwardly the Lord gave me the sense that uh, you need to bring into the message a particular matter that we're familiar with the terminology, but probably have never heard a message on it. And I released a similar message a few months ago, and I had the definite sense that after we finish the outline, I'll go to that. It won't make the message exceedingly long. And then uh, that new outline will be put online for you if you'd like to have a copy of it. But I want to begin by giving you a very brief PS to the speaking last night concerning prayer that expresses God's will. And we emphasized a certain aspect of prayer. Please recall that in Ephesians 6, Paul says, by means of all prayer. And I just had this sense, and I like to slam the door in the face of the enemy, that he might harass some of you when there's been an emphasis on knowing God's will, not praying prayers that are not prayers, and now you're with the Lord and you have some feeling and you, and you say, uh-oh, Uh, I'm I'm, I'm off track. No, you're not. And before I read a verse that makes this clear, I will describe an illustration. That's something, you know, 45, 47 years ago happened to me as a dad, but I'll put it this way. Okay, uh, a little girl, maybe six years old, comes to daddy. Says, Daddy, Daddy, uh, will you get me a pony? Can you get me a pony? And do you think the father would say, My dear one, why do you ask for a pony? Don't you care for what is in your father's heart concerning our family life and your whole future? And you're asking for a pony? No, no dad would ever say this. But this is what I would have to say. I would say, you know, okay, her, her name was Becky. Becky, we live in a city, Anaheim. We, we can't have a pony. You know, we can't have a pony in our backyard. How about a bunny rabbit? Yeah. Okay. This means, especially when we are having fellowship 
with the Father. I realize that may sound rather unusual to you. But in 1 John chapter 1, in verse 3, and the Apostle John is writing, and his burden is that they would know that what the apostolic fellowship is. And he's writing to bring them into that fellowship. And he said this, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, the Father. And here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells us, In nothing be anxious, but in everything, okay, everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so you'll understand what I'm about to say. It's like, now you're asking the father for a pony. And he's not going to find anything wrong with that. It's so sweet. You can come to the father and there's something you feel you need or you would like or you hope to have. And you make the request known. And so I want to slam the door in the face of the enemy that would try to deprive you of this kind of personal, conversational fellowship with the Lord. And knowing we can make our requests known. I say the obvious. We are human beings with needs. Why should a sister who is single and wants to be married, not from time to time, express that? No one should say, well, why don't you seeking the kingdom first and engage in spiritual warfare to deal with the principalities and powers? We should not be unbalanced in that way. That our Father, and there's a verse in Matthew, sorry, John, where the Lord just said, the Father loves you. And the Lord instructed us to pray to the Father. And this is a learning experience in a, in a vital group prayer meeting with my wife and someone else. And at a certain point, we just had the sense we're praying for matters that really are significant for God's will and purpose and on the earth. This is the focus. Much like the beginning of the prayer the Lord taught in Matthew, for his name to be sanctified, for his will to be done, for the kingdom to come. And then at a certain point, you read Brother Nee's message on this. There's a turn, you're dropping down thousands of feet and you pray, give us our daily bread what we need humanly. And we need to do this because the enemy will counterattack when we are praying the prayers that express God's will. And the point of attack is almost always something related to our humanity, to our needs, to our weaknesses, to just our human situation. And that is why 
I'm, I just feel so touched that I can just bring to the Father. I know he already knows what I need. The Lord said that. Don't be anxious. But also he said to pray, Father, please give me my daily bread. That doesn't mean literally a loaf of bread. It's what I need today, day by day. You know what I need. I'm not an angel. And then also, keep us from the evil one. This simple prayer, one sentence. How we need to cover all of our children, all the young people, especially if they're in public schools, keep them from the evil one. So I wanted to add that as a a longer PS than I thought, but it's just an addition to that. So that as we are being led by the Lord and trained and perfected by him to carry out the prayer ministry in the church, we will also, along with that, discover how he will enrich our personal life and our direct fellowship with the Father and with his Son. Now we come to uh, message four, and the title is Our Need to Labor on the All-Inclusive Christ. And uh, this part of the outline is a major part of outline seven from the last itero. Uh, this, with a smile, I would say, if you say itero, it's okay. We can still have fellowship. You can be the itero brother. I can be an itero brother. And I can have fellowship with you even if you're wrong. Okay. <laughs> We're not going to allow petty things to interfere. So itero, itero, whatever it is, uh, this was a major part of that message. And as I was preparing for that, not hours before, weeks before, days before, I myself realized What does it mean to labor on Christ? A very common term. And uh, maybe if that had been a live training, maybe I would have asked all the brothers, their trainees, I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to write down that only you will read one answer. To the question, what does it mean to labor on Christ? And and then when I was searching this, the earliest source that I found was 1962 in the first, you could say, official conference of Brotherly's Ministry in the United States on the all-inclusive Christ. That is where his ministry, you could say, administratively began. And there is a number of references there. And I realized, like I said last night, I'm a learner. There's an L on my back. It's probably bigger this morning than it was last night because I became aware of 
more things I need to learn since the last time I saw half of your face, right? Um, and so what I do in things like this is to do something very basic. I go to an online dictionary. What is labor compared to work? Because you can have a job and you know you're working, but labor is to exert, you know, our strength in body and mind, and I would add our spirit. We really are exerting the capacity that we have. We're not just doing something in a kind of easygoing way. It doesn't require that much intense concentration. And to labor is to be working and striving toward a goal. So if someone wants to uh, be uh, sent to the next Olympics for the decathlon, the most demanding of events, that requires a lot of preparatory labor every day. All the things you have to do. But that athlete has a goal. I want to be able to be sent by the United States to that next Olympics. And I would hope to win a, a medal. And so to labor is to exert ourselves, and I'll define this more later, in our spirit, in our heart, in all kinds of situations, to contact the Lord. And so this is the basic understanding of what we mean by labor. Brother Lee used that word repeatedly, and I need to pay attention to that. Not just work, not just have some time to pray, but to labor. And now we come to the outline, and we begin with Roman 1. As believers in Christ who have been led by Christ into himself as the good land, typified by the land of Canaan, we need to labor on Christ. Well, why do we need? Why do we need? Why can't we just be here? Well, when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, they didn't have to labor for anything. They just went out six mornings a week and gathered manna. Oh, for 40 years, they got weary of it. And I believe among, you know, that large number of people, there must have been some creative women who, who could do all kinds of uh, interesting things with manna, you know, manna cake, manna soup, manna muffins. Man of this and that, but when it comes down to it, it's just manna, manna, manna. That's it. And that's all they had to do was get up and gather it. And then in Egypt, the only thing they partook of was of the lamb. And they must have had lamb, so someone is taking care of them. But I don't think that's too hard labor. But when they came into the good land, 
as was made clear in a message on that uh, in a recent semi-annual training, the manna stopped. It stopped. And so as a transition, the people of Israel were able to partake of remnants there, you know, certain portions that were not taken. But after that, they, they, they have to labor on the portion of the land allocated to them. That's just how it is. You can't live there on manna. It's not coming. And so this brings us to point two, which is a picture of the church life in the Lord's recovery. After the people of Israel entered into and possessed the land of Canaan and received their allotted portion, they labored on the land. So most of that was farming. And if you've ever spent any time on a farm, as I did every summer for a period of time, from the time I was a little boy until I graduated from high school, I learned what labor is, what time they get up and just work until sundown. And I had one of my uncles who was living there with uh, his brother and their father before he went to be with the Lord. He was an incredibly strong man. And he worked in the mine. That was the way most men earned their living in the upper part of Northern Peninsula in Michigan. And uh, he would go early, labor down in the mine, come home around four o'clock, and then labor for hours on the farm. Now, this impressed me. This is labor. And now we are on a farm. Like it or not, we are in our portion of the good land of the all-inclusive Christ, signified, typified by the good land. And we know from Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, we all have our portion. And one thing I again and again remind the trainees when they line up to speak. They get in a line to share on Wednesday nights. It's wonderful, inspiring. They're sharing. And in class, the best it's ever been. And I tell them, okay, you're in line and you have a point you want to share. And then one or two others have covered the same point. Then you wonder, oh no, what am I going to, to do now? Then I tell them, please realize this. There is a portion of Christ that only you have. No one else. Not even the Apostle Paul. Not Witness Lee. Not Watchman Nee. Not the brothers serving you in the training. Nobody. So I encourage you, share the same point. But what you will minister while you're speaking for that minute or so is a portion that only you have. 
And the only way we can fully experience and enjoy the all-inclusive Christ is through one another's portion. And so we have an allotted portion, and somehow we will have some realization of how we should proceed. And I hope this message will help us to learn a little on what it is to labor Because morning revival time is not labor. When I have a healthy breakfast, that is not labor. That is to energize me for a day of labor. Roman 2, after the people of Israel entered into and possessed the land of Canaan and received their allotted portion, they labored on the land, whether or not They were willing to labor on the land was a serious matter. You can't say, no, I'm just going to pray for something to come from heaven or when I'm hungry, I'll just come to your house and say, uh, you know, can I have a meal with you? Well, you better read 2 Thessalonians 3. Someone doesn't want to work, Paul says, then he shouldn't eat. He doesn't want to work. Not that he can't find a job. He doesn't want to work. And I know some brothers like this. Really strange. They say, I should be a co-worker. One younger brother said something to the elders in the church where he was. He said, I'm an apostle. You need to support me. And some say, I'm just, no. They're too, they're above having a job, working in a practical way, like all the rest of us do. So the same principle applies here. We're in the land. We have our portion. And if we are to produce something, we need to learn to labor on it. They had a labor. They had to labor and cultivate the land. This is a picture of, of how we need to labor diligently on Christ so that we may enjoy his all-inclusive riches. But this is just the beginning. What was God's goal in bringing the people out of Egypt through the wilderness into the land of Canaan? Was his goal only that they cultivate the land and produce riches so they can live healthy? No, they had three requirements. One is, God wants to build a dwelling place. Not the tabernacle, it's just temporary. He wants to build a house, a dwelling place. And the second is he wants to build a city, signifying his kingdom. Now that you're here, You're not just enjoying the produce of the land that you produced. You are here to build up the dwelling place of God. You are here to build up the city, the kingdom of God. This is the church life. We're here for a purpose. The local churches are the procedure. The reality and building up of the body are the goal. And then the third, in some ways, is even more striking. The Lord chose the place of meeting. 
We all know this. It signifies the ground of the church. And there's a law. You must come three times a year to the feasts. And you must bring the best part of the produce here for worshiping God and for having a feast with one another. And that typifies the meetings, the meeting of the church. So we are here to labor on the all-inclusive Christ, not just for our enjoyment, although that's important, and not only for our maturity in life, that is crucial. We are laboring on Christ for the church, for the body, for the kingdom. So we need, and I'm looking at the future. I'm not looking at the past, not even the past two years or the past five or ten years in Anaheim. That's behind me. The best is ahead. We will see. We'll have a governing vision more and more. What are we doing here? We know from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, Paul speaks of the universal building, the whole temple universally is growing. Then in verse 22, he said, you also are being built together. That is the local church. You also are building up locally. And we are to build up locally. Then we need to have something to bring as an element of that building. So B says, this is a picture of how we need to labor diligently on Christ so that we may enjoy his all-inclusive riches. So that's a picture of how we need to labor diligently, not according to mood. One thing I need to do, and I have a helper for health, is to exercise. Exercise, exercises that are proper for someone my age, and this, this and that. And I would say 90% of the time, I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it. And then I found out I, I need a helper because if I'm alone, as I had to have been for a while, I'm just governed by how I felt. But now there is someone who's helping me, it's, it's walk, walk time. And I'm so thankful, so thankful to exercise. And so when it comes to laboring diligently, as we'll see later, it'll become clear, but deliberately we're holding back on the definition for the right time. We shouldn't be governed by mood. And, uh, Brothers, when they get into middle age, I think if they're honest with themselves, they find out that, oh, don't think that only sisters have feelings and emotions. Oh, middle-aged brothers can have moods. And so one brother is in, oh, just such a happy, joyful mood. He comes a little early. He sits in the front. He's active in the meeting. Then two weeks later, he comes in 20 minutes late, sits in the back. He's in a bad mood. Well, uh, a, a moody man is not going to be among the co-kings in the kingdom. 
But we have moods. We're human. And the moods are caused by various things in our body, in our soul life. We're all like that. But we need an empowered spirit that is the strongest part of our tripartite being. And then we exercise our will to cooperate with the Lord and his will. And no matter how we feel, I will not waste this day because I'm feeling down and I'm feeling this. I will not waste the next 16 hours or so. But I will exercise to contact you no matter how I feel. Well, for this, we need to participate in that prayer in Ephesians 3. Paul knelt and prayed for us that the Father of glory would give us a spirit who would empower us with the fourfold power in Ephesians 1 to strengthen us in the inner man so that Christ may make his home in our heart. And so after this picture now of their laboring on the good land in order to have material for the dwelling place of God, to be able to build up the city, the kingdom of God, and to have the produce to worship God, at this point, we're going to pause, and the serving sisters there are aware We will sing hymn 864, and as we sing it, you'll know why I'm asking you to do this, 864.
Again, stanzas six and eight. I sincerely believe that when the time has come through the leading of our faithful elder brothers and we will assemble in a normal way in this hall and we will have meetings for prayer, we will have meetings for the Lord's table and for prophesying and let's just take the Lord's table meeting. We will do something more than sing a hymn and then pray over a line from the hymn. That's it. And we'll do something more than what is called, I say this because the form and the reality are not the same, we'll worship the Father with something more than a hymn and mainly, I don't say only, but almost entirely, we pray over a line of the hymn. What if we didn't do that? What do we have to offer the Father? So that is the positive burden, not what it has been, but what it will be, because we're in the Lord's recovery. And we are being recovered in the recovery and we will all learn, little by little, personally and together. And we will help one another and encourage one another and uphold one another and pray for one another and shepherd one another. We are in this together. We are going to labor on the all-inclusive Christ. We're going to find out what this means, and we're going to learn to do it. Now we can go through this part of the outline. Well, the, and then I'm, I'm, well, I'm aware of the time. I won't go too long. And we can 
continue with that other section I'll tell you about. The life we live after entering into Christ as a good land is a life of laboring on Christ. So it's not merely an activity we do occasionally. It's a life. It's a laboring life. As the Lord's people who are living in the all-inclusive Christ, we need to labor on Christ, seeking Christ and enjoying Christ in every situation. Seeking Christ and enjoying Christ in every situation. Just consider any weekday. Is anyone here able to spend three hours on Tuesday and Friday uh, reading the Word, PSRPing outlines, reading messages? None of us can do that. We have human responsibilities. Sometimes to get up very early, drive for 45 minutes to work, and then we have to be diligent and proper in all of our responsibilities. Then we come home, and then if you're, you're coming home and you have three children, and you don't just come home and sit down in an easy chair, You've got a partner there who needs you to do this and the children come running. And so this is our human living. But what this point is saying is we need to seek Christ and labor on him and enjoy him in every situation. So now I'm beginning to give you the definition. How can we do this? In every situation, how can we do this? And I speak as someone who has been in the Lord's recovery for 55 years. And I'm just telling you the fact. I have lost thousands, thousands of opportunities to labor on Christ in situations. I don't like the situation. I'm frustrated. I have feelings. I'm just in my view, my thoughts, myself. But by the Lord's mercy, as a learner, I have been learning. And I'm not ready to take the final exam for this. I don't think I would pass the final yet. But I'm learning. To labor on Christ is to exercise my spirit to contact him everywhere and every time. That is the labor. That is exertion. That's a different kind of exercise than when we have morning revival. We pray, we pray, read with the verses. We read and we are open for life and light on the ministry material. That isn't labor. When I have another healthy lunch, mainly soup, I don't consider that a labor, not even work. 
but that equips me to labor. So this is what it is to labor. It is to exercise our spirit. That's why we sang that. In the midst of any and every situation. So I begin, I think I have the leading now to get into this, so I will. It can be just ordinary situations. Here is one. It happens to me a number of times. I'm driving home from the LSM campus, and I'm going west on La Palma, and I need to come to the intersection of Magnolia and La Palma and make a left turn. So I'm in the left turn lane. And there is an arrow, either green, go, or red, stop. And let's suppose, this has happened many times, it's busy, it's late in the afternoon, and so I come in, and I can tell, okay, um, I guess I'm car number nine. And if the drivers in front of me have proper reflexes, I will be able to make the left turn on this green arrow. But I believe this is sovereignly arranged by God. At least one car doesn't. And so by the time I get there, I can't deceive myself saying, oh, it's a yellow light. No, it's red. And now I'm not happy. I'm, I'm here before the red arrow for two and a half minutes. And I know what it's like to spend two and a half minutes just in my feeling about these non-reflective drivers in front of me. But now I'm learning. <sighs> little by little. Okay, now I'm here. Do I really believe that all things work together for good to those who love God? Do I really believe Romans 8.28? Oh, here's the thing. It's just a teeny-weeny thing. But, Lord, now I'm going to contact you for two and a half minutes. I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to contact you. And then there are, I don't have to go. No, you already understand the vast variety of situations. As I mentioned before, I've been more than once on an operation table. Okay, this cardiologist, he said, I'm going to put in the stents. So I'm here. And while I'm there, I can labor. And I did, at least some. And then when I have to recover and be in a bed for a while. This is a situation. I don't want to waste it. And I'm so thankful for our God and that word he spoke through Joel, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Amen. And so, I'm so thankful to the Lord that you will restore the years the locusts have eaten in my own life. How many times after I finished teaching a challenging group of students at a high school in San Fernando, and I'm driving home, it's only about 25 minutes, 
I'm sorry I listened to the news. I didn't pray at all. The Lord knows, but he's full of mercy, and he will restore the years the locusts have eaten. But as I mentioned before, that kind of time will be recovered. But from this point on, I have no time to waste. And sometimes I need very practical help like this. And the Lord covered the two of us that are in the situation. We take a flight. We land at Singapore, where millions and millions of people come every year. And then we walk to passport control, and the lines are incredibly long. Look at all of them. And I thought, how long are we going to be here? I'm tired and this and that. And then uh, I'm not doing too well inwardly, but uh, there's someone with me that's saying, Ron, remember the message about all situations? This is a gentle reminder. I'm so thankful. I need this. I need the members of the body, whether they say something directly or not, there's just a realization. This is an opportunity. And so, please don't make what I call a pseudo-consecration, Lord. From now on, I promise to contact you in every situation. No, you just say, Lord, I want to learn to be trained to labor on you throughout the day. Train me, teach me, enable me to do this, and we will labor a little more one day. Then a month later, we're laboring more in a day. This is how it's going to develop. Don't place a standard on yourself. I'm not placing a standard on anybody. But we are governed by this fact We need to labor by exercising our spirit. That is the labor. The the soul life wants to take an easy way, whatever way will bring me comfort or justify my feeling. But we say no to that. The Lord is here. He truly is Emmanuel. I don't want to waste this opportunity. And then the Lord knows Please listen to this carefully. I'm contacting him. He knows what I need, what aspect of him I need. And that's what he imparts. But maybe sometime later, I realize what happened. And why I really appreciate this aspect of Christ in a particular way. All this is in our immediate future. B, we are in a very rich land, but if we do not labor on it, there is no produce for us to experience and enjoy. No produce. So we bring his produce to the church, but what do we do if we don't have produce, but we come to the meeting? Well, honestly, it's a kind of formal, formal, predictable, and eventually a religious gathering. But it's not going to be that way. We're going to bring the surplus to the church, and we're all going to exhibit Christ. And the Christ you have, sister, only you have that portion. And 
What the Lord wants is to a certain extent, not everything. Certain things are just kept deep within. We know this. But you have experienced something, and then your prayer, or your prophesying, or your fellowship, ministers this Christ to all of us. And this we do to one another. This smashes the clergy laity system. We, we all need the all-inclusive Christ, and we all need every member of the body of Christ. For although we need to labor on Christ as the land to produce Christ, we need to realize that it is not we who produce Christ, but Christ who produces himself in us through our labor. So here I am again on Thursday afternoon, first in line at the red arrow, because once again, I'll keep getting the same test until I pass the exam and have to pass it more than once. The Lord has to be sure this is settled in you. Then here I am uh, contacting the Lord, but then he produces himself. As I say again, he knows where we are. He knows what aspect of the all-inclusive Christ we need and what the church needs. And then he imparts that into us little by little. We're not aware of it because it's going deep in our spirit first. But eventually, the spirit of the mind will give us an understanding. There'll be an inward realization of what the Lord is to us. And sometimes he gives us a hymn. And he gave us this hymn because it just matches where you are. And when you sing the hymn, it's so real and fresh. This is your future. I'm not giving a false prophecy, so I won't be stoned. This is going to be your future and mine. And we're not going to wait until the end of the millennium. We're going to arrive now. That's what's in our heart, and that's why we're having this conference. We all need to labor on Christ and let Christ give us much produce. Even ask him, Lord, I'm going to labor on my part, and I'm asking you to give yourself as the produce. And if he wanted to speak audibly, he might say, I've been waiting to do this for the last 27 years, so I'm ready to do it right now. I'm glad you asked, because here I am. Then we will have rich experiences of Christ, unsearchable riches of Christ. We haven't even have a hymn on that. Oh, the riches, oh, the riches. B, the harvest of Christ is the Christ on whom we have labored and have reaped to be our harvest. Now we go on to some practical points, experiential points. Every morning, we need to pray, asking the Lord for the day's portion of grace and consecrating ourselves to the Lord for the purpose of experiencing and enjoying him by laboring on him. So every morning, we need to pray. It's not formal. I have to be careful when I'm shaving I may pray, but if I lose concentration, uh, I might have to take care of a little ouchie there. But I'm, I'm saying this is not a formality. We wake up 
we're aware. Now we're at least 65% awake, 35% not yet awake, but we're starting a new day. And then we just yes, say, Lord, I give you this day. It's the only day I have. I consecrate to it. I want to gain you today. I want to labor on you today. And Lord, but I can't do it by myself. I need today's portion of grace. I learned that prayer from Brother Lee a long time ago, every day. Then recently, in preparing and giving a message on reigning in life by grace over sin, death, and Satan, I learned something afresh. I'm not teasing you. I'm a learner. I need the abundance of grace. I need to be filled with grace. And Romans 5.21 says, Grace reigns unto eternal life. And then we reign in life by the abundance of grace. So now we're learning to pray. Lord, fill us with grace today. You are our grace. Being everything to us for our enjoyment. And by this grace, we can endure through grace what we could never bear. We can pass through something that in ourselves we could never do it. But your grace is really all sufficient. Eventually that word will be spoken to us. We can't just quote Paul and think we can deal with the thorn. The Lord needs to speak to us. My grace is sufficient for you. I will supply you with the abounding grace every moment of your life. And it will be sufficient. And so, the harvest, okay, every morning, and this is the purpose of experiencing and enjoying him. Six, throughout the day, we need to maintain our fellowship with the Lord and thereby contact him, labor on him, apply him, experience him, and enjoy him. Now, what about maintaining our fellowship? Once again, at least for the second time, I refer to that verse in Hebrews 4, probably verse 16, concerning dividing the soul from the spirit. But uh, allow me to repeat that a little. That we can say we are tripartite, right? It's like three... uh, Circles, three-dimensional circles. Outside is the body. Inside the body is the soul. And deep within the soul is the spirit. And in order to live a human life and do our work and be normal, we must use the faculties of our soul. How can someone be a student without exercising the mind and the memory? And so this is what has happened. It happened to me for a number of years. While I am teaching in this challenging situation, I'm fully engaged. And they gave me kind of the extremes of the students. In special education, it was, these are those that are the most challenging, the lowest intelligence, and they've been deprived due to their 
poor background of learning and they need special care. But there's also some that that they have psychological problems. Then I had the text of all the gifted students from one extreme to the other. And I remember one day, this is in ancient times, before we had copy machines. And there's such a thing as, uh, you know, you make a master, you, you etch on it, then you put it on the duplicating machine. You got to put it on the, the barrel of it and lay it flat. And then you just turn it around and you get some copies. And I labored on this lesson very much. And I went to the room there and I put it on the, the barrel and I turned it. Then I saw what happened. There was just a crease diagonally through the whole thing and ruined it. And right there inwardly, I said, how long must I teach these kids? The answer came immediately. Until you love them. And so, here I am in that situation. And as as I said, I won't repeat what I said in the previous message. I asked Brother Lee for fellowship about this. Then I learned I need my soul separated from my spirit by this word that's the sword. That means outwardly I can use all the faculties of my soul as I'm doing now. But inwardly, my spirit is not bound by what these faculties are doing. So inwardly, I can be praying and in fellowship with the Lord simultaneously. And this is where we will all be brought. If you have some feeling about it, then I suggest you uh, pray over that verse, read the footnotes. You may want to consult what Brother Nee says in the book, The Breaking of the Outer Man. Then this way, we're living in two realms at once, and we're living in fellowship. So it becomes an exception when we're not. And immediately we have the sense, no, I'm not going to say that anymore. I'm not going to think that. I'm not going to feel that. It's costing me the fellowship. More and more, we'll come back very quickly. Then this opens the way for us to experience him. Six, throughout the day. Oh, I did that. Uh, uh, Seven, exercising our spirit is the key to laboring on Christ, exercising Christ, and producing Christ. Exercise the Spirit, one of our common expressions. But wasn't that a marvelous hymn, 866? Exercise the Spirit. Exercise the Spirit. Then how can we exercise the Spirit? How can we do this? 1 Corinthians 14. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Well, what does this mean? What part of our tripartite soul enables us to exercise the spirit? It's our will. It's our will. We can be in the spirit anytime we choose, anytime. So when, again, the Lord 
gains more ground in our will and we're one with him in our will more and more, then we won't wait for something inspiring to happen, for some outward blessing to come into our life, for our mood to change, for this person to be different, for our boss to be such and such. These are the situations. I have feelings about it, but I'm not going to be ruled by mood because that means I'll be manipulated by the enemy. And that's what he will target. I'm going to exercise my spirit. I choose to do this. And if we don't know what this is, then we can just tell the Lord, what does it really mean to exercise the spirit? Show me what it means inwardly. And because the spirit is deep within, you will exercise your whole being. In 1967, after Brother Lee had surgery on part of his midsection, and it was mainly recovered, but he told us later when he was speaking, exercising his spirit, there was unpleasant feelings in that part of his body because you are exercising something that's in the core of your being. Doesn't mean we rely on any physical sensation, but we can't be passive. And some of us, <clears throat> by disposition, in many ways we're passive. I know what that's like. But we can't be ruled by our disposition any longer. It will only increase with age. If disposition isn't touched, I won't say it can't be touched when someone is elderly, but it's extremely difficult. This is the greatest barrier. And if some, by nature, they're just aggressive, they're Peters. I mean, they're ready, ready to take action without any thought. Okay, then they will need another kind of training from the Lord. Nothing can replace this. This is a basic spiritual principle in the Lord's recovery. Exercise the spirit. And the first time I went with 140 other saints to Taiwan, I was deeply touched, and I still am today. Whenever they spoke, whenever they prayed, they had a strong spirit. There was such a pattern to me, even to this present day, of exercising the spirit. They're not unusual. They're very normal in speaking, but you sense the spirit there. And in one meeting, Brother Lee was having a training in 1987 in Irving, Texas. A number of co-workers was there, and one of the co-workers was speaking kind of a testimony. And Brother Lee stopped him and said, Brother, exercise their spirit. We need to exercise our spirit everywhere, all the time, while we're awake. I'm not aware of any requirement that we have to do when we're asleep. But I don't know what's going on all the time because sometimes I wake up. And what I've been doing, I've been writing an outline while I'm sleeping. So I don't know how that is from. But anyway, right now I'm concentrating on the waking hours. I have to leave the sleep time to the Lord and his protection. And so, throughout the day, 
Okay, exercising our spirit. Uh, A under seven. The way to labor on Christ is to exercise our spirit, to contact the spirit, the reality of the all-inclusive Christ as the good land. <clears throat> when we contact the spirit, we are contacting the all-inclusive Christ. It's so simple. We are in the land. We are in Christ. We are not in Egypt. We are not in the wilderness. We're in Canaan. We are here together. Now we are learning to live and labor here to consummate God's economy. Throughout the day, in every situation, and in all our circumstances, we should exercise our spirit to contact the Lord and experience him. And uh, I feel I need to say this. As far as I understand, there is no situation in any aspect of our life that is an excuse for our not exercising the spirit. We can't say, Lord, I'm, I'm so sick or somebody damaged my car or something seriously happened to my father and he's in a critical situation. Don't I have the right to wallow around in myself because of this? Well, if you want to live in the old creation, you can do that. The Lord is the shepherd of your soul. He knows your suffering. He cares for you. He's praying for you. He's ministering to you. Will you simply exercise to contact him? And maybe the the most challenging thing I've ever experienced with saints was in 1981. And there was an exceedingly powerful prayer meeting on a Tuesday night. And the prayers that were released to deal with the enemy behind the government in California. And then I went home and I found out our little brother Ben is missing. And I found out where the location was, where the police had set up a, a kind of base at a apartment complex in Anaheim. And we never found him. And Brother Lee wanted me to keep in touch with him. And then I was very close to this family. I knew this 12-year-old brother. I had him in children's meeting. I helped him prepare for his baptism. And so a couple of nights later, I'm in the home with his parents. And the night detective from the Anaheim Police Department. And they had heard that they had found the body of a deceased boy but they didn't have the identity. And then the phone call came at 3 a.m. I was with them. 
And you can tell what the answer was. Then he said, it's hard for me to say this, but that is your son. And then I just spent the night there in the living room on the couch to be with them. What do you say? What dare we say? The best thing we can do is ourself to be one with the Lord, to exercise our spirit, to be a channel of life, and then just gently help them. Don't exhort them. Help them in the midst of this indescribable, traumatic loss and pain. You can still contact the Lord. And then Brother Lee, after he found out about this, he contacted me and said, I'd like to go visit them in their home. And so I went to his apartment and drove him over there. There he was, humanly divine and divinely human, ministering. And then he said, can we sing a hymn? And me saying this hymn, God has not promised skies always blue. We sang it all in the spirit. And at the burial, we sang it. All that I've been presenting to you is not mere doctrine to me. It's not theory. It's real. We are all living. Human life itself is a life of suffering. It's difficult. And we are here outwardly in the old creation. But there is a supply. There is grace. There is mercy. There is the intercession of the heavenly Lord Jesus. There's a life flowing in the body of Christ that in the midst of all kinds of situations, we can still Contact the Lord. He knows what we need. Then the last point, eight, we labor on Christ as a good land by exercising our heart to have faith in the Lord. Actually, we need to exercise our heart before we can exercise our spirit because the spirit is within our heart. So I like to pray every day, Lord, I turn my heart to you and I open my heart to you in faith and love. I still don't see you, but I love you. I don't see you, but I have faith in you. And I give you this day. And now I pray, fill me with grace. This is my part to pray. Then the grace comes to have faith in the Lord and to love the Lord. And by exercising our spirit to contact the Lord and to receive the dispensing of the all-inclusive life-giving spirit, the reality of Christ as the good land. Now, maybe just for about 12 minutes or so, I'd like to make a major turn and end our time together, which I find 
exceedingly precious. I don't have words to describe how endearing it is to be here with you. And what an honor and a privilege to serve you, to minister the word to you, and to receive life supply from you when you share. And so I thank the Lord for his leading, and I'm going to work from an outline that I have that I will arrange and have it posted sometime tomorrow. I'll send it to the brothers, and if you'd like to have it, it'll be available to you. And we're still talking about the type of the all in, the, the land of Canaan, signifying the all-inclusive Christ. But in Exodus 3.8, 3.17, 33.3, Leviticus 24, Numbers 13.27, Numbers 14.8, Deuteronomy 6.3, Deuteronomy 6.9 and 15, Deuteronomy 27 verse 3, Joshua 5.6, plus many other verses equaling about 20. If you didn't get all the points, they'll be on the outline. And what expression are found? Quote, a land flowing with milk and honey. Again and again, from the very beginning in Exodus, way back in chapter 3, I'm taking you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And finally, I paid attention to this, asking the Lord, why do you speak about this so many times? What does this mean? Why is it called a land flowing with milk and honey? So now I'm sharing with you what I've been learning. Mainly, I'll I'll read this to you, and then I'll share something personal at the end. Then there'll be half an hour remaining. Milk and honey are produced out of the mingling of two lives, vegetable life and animal life. So mingling two lives. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 8, honey is put together with the plants. That's the vegetable life, wheat, barley, vine, fig tree, pomegranates, olive tree. In Deuteronomy 32, 14, milk is put together with animals, cattle, and flock. For the most part, honey has to do with the plant life, and the greater part of the milk is related to animal life, right? When I was a little boy at the farm, they tried to help me milk a cow. There's a special way to hold on to the udders. But that milk is produced from inside the cow, but the cow spends every day nibbling on grass. And the same thing with honey. It's primarily some kind of flower, but there's a flying insect that will come. It's a a honey-making bee. So you see the two lives. This is going to be the main point. 
And I believe it will open up another spiritual avenue for you this week. For the most part, honey has to do with the plant life. And the greater part of the milk is related to the animal life. When these two lives are mingled together, honey is produced. The emphasis, the mingling of the two lives produces honey. The mingling of two lives produces milk. So a mingling must take place for the all-inclusive Christ to be a land flowing with milk and honey. And when we see this and when we taste this, oh, you're going to experience something you never thought even existed. I can hardly wait to get there, but I have to take some more steps. The uh, Milk is also a product of both the animal life and the vegetable life, but it belongs mainly to the animal life. It is produced from grazing in the pasture, vegetable life, and by the cattle and the flock, animal life. Now we come to the typology. This is typology, okay? It's all typology. The milk and the honey, the vegetable life, the animal life. Milk and honey, which are the mingling of both the animal life and the vegetable life, signify two aspects of the life of Christ. Two aspects. Each one signifies two aspects. The redeeming aspect and the generating aspect. The vegetable life is the life that generates and multiplies. This life signifies the generating and multiplying life of Christ. John 12, 24. Okay? There's a grain of wheat. It falls into the ground and dies. The shell is broken. The life is released. And what happens? It produces many other grains of wheat. And this is an aspect of Christ's death, the life-releasing aspect. He died to release life so that life could enter into us, to be his reproduction, and eventually to become one loaf, the body of Christ. The animal life, signifies the redeeming life of Christ. And here I need to read two verses. From John 6, 54 and 55. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Earlier in this chapter, the Lord said, I am the bread of life. I am the living bread. I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread of God. I am the true bread. That is vegetable life. That is to generate. That is to nourish. Then he goes on to combine the bread with his flesh to mingle them. And we partake 
of both aspects, the redeeming life. The redeeming aspect of Christ's life is for our judicial redemption. And the generating aspect of Christ's life is for our organic salvation. So our experience and growth in life, we must realize, are based upon the righteousness of God manifested in Christ's redemption for us. And also we are becoming righteousness itself, the wedding garment of the prepared bride is composed of righteousnesses. That is, so many instances of living and expressing Christ as life and righteousness. That's how she stitches her garment. Now, the next matter is very important. It refers to the Lord's table. And I join you in just longing, you know, the basic definition of the church is an assembly. We assemble. And the time will come. We just wait on the Lord. And we're one with the brothers. And they are seeking the Lord. But I just wait. I want to see a real table with bread and a cup. And just realize the Lord ordained this. Pointed out what they signify. And now I read this, the symbols of the Lord's table signify the redeeming and generating aspects of Christ's life for God's complete salvation. So the bread, that's the generating life. The cup signifies the redeeming life. And we proclaim this to the whole universe. We are here because of this. Because he poured out his blood on the cross to enact the new covenant of which we are the beneficiaries. Now we come to the, the point I've been waiting for for an hour and a half. Milk and honey speak forth the goodness and sweetness of the life of Christ. Oh, to taste this, the sweetness, the goodness of the life of Christ. When at the same time, we experience and enjoy Christ as both the vegetable life and the animal life, we realize how good, sweet, and rich the Lord is to us. It's likely that many of us, if not most of us, when we contact the Lord and feed on the Lord, it is with the vegetable life, it's with the bread, with the tree of life, we drink the water of life, and this is altogether correct and necessary. And then there are times, maybe they precede this kind of prayer, that we pray for the Lord to apply his blood to us according to his evaluation of it. And we take him as the reality of the offerings. But please notice I'm saying this, at the same time, 
We're contacting and enjoying Christ, experiencing him as both the vegetable life and the animal life, both as the generating life and the redeeming life. When they both come together, as they come at the end of John 6, that is when we are experiencing milk and honey. This combination, we've had other precious experiences and times of enjoyment, but this is in another dimension. The sweetness of it, the taste, and not a sweetness in some kind of improper, unhealthy food, but it just imparts to you just a sense of joy, of peace, of rest, of delight, of satisfaction. How good, how sweet, and how rich the Lord is to us. Not just in himself, to us. The Lord wants to be sweet to you. That this can be your praise. As the bread is being passed to you in the cup, Lord, I praise you for your sweetness. That's not a line in a hymn. It wasn't in the morning revival anywhere. This is your exhibition in a genuine prayer. Lord, you're so precious. You're so sweet. All this week long, I just adore you. I thank you. Then when we worship the Father, Father, we bring to you the sweet, rich, all-inclusive Christ. We have the best portion for you, beloved Father. And we present him to you, the Christ on whom we have labored and the best part we left for you. It's not for us. It's not for others. It's not even for the church. It's for you. Then the atmosphere will be indescribably sweet. There may be a time when just for a very for a short time, maybe half a minute, we sit there. No one wants to say anything. You just inhale the sweetness. How delightful to be here. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. And now one last point. By enjoying Christ as the land of milk and honey, we will be constituted with him as milk and honey. I hope it's okay with you brothers that maybe one day your wife is going to call you honey, but not in a because of your husband and wife, because she realizes, and they realize everything, so you might as well not hide and run away. Just stay in the light and love. And the fact is, no matter what kind of disposition you have, what kind of personality you have, what kind of history you have, what you've gone through, this Christ is constituting himself into you as milk and honey. And whenever you speak, you just have 
a 30-second conversation with someone after a meeting. And they don't know it at first, and you don't know it at that time. They walk away having enjoyed something sweet and precious. Not from a human being, but through a human being. And so we end with a verse from Song of Songs, chapter 4, verse 11. I'm so glad the Bible, this wonderful book, has all these different verses now come together. This is chapter 4, verse 11, part A. And this is what the beloved one is saying to his bride-to-be, the one who loves him. He's speaking to her. This is the Lord speaking to a believer. And the time is coming when this is what the Lord will speak to you. I mean it. Maybe even now. Your lips drip fresh honey, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Your lips drip fresh honey, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. When the bride has made herself ready, there will be a mutual enjoyment of milk and honey. We enjoy him. He paid the price. And now we've been constituted with milk and honey. And as we express our love for him, he says, My bride, my dear bride, your lips drip fresh honey. When you pray, the honey's there. When you sing, when you speak, honey and milk are under your tongue. And this comes now spontaneously. This is how eventually we will always speak to one another. Always. And always talk in relation to one another. No criticism, no judgment, no anger, no hatred, nothing negative. No partiality. We speak the same to everyone. This is grace. We minister grace to one another, even when we say, hi, how are you? That's milk and honey. What a wonderful church life and Christian life lies ahead of us, not far away, but right here, right now. So my dear, beloved brothers and sisters, let's all learn to labor on the all-inclusive Christ and bring the produce to every meeting of the church to exhibit Christ and to minister Christ to one another and to end to enjoy the milk and honey and express the sweetness of this every time we speak, every time we pray. This will be a sign that the bride has made herself ready, her tongue has been fully recovered. I'm coming for her. I'm coming. We will enjoy together milk and honey. What a wonderful wedding meeting we have.
milk and honey. Amen. Okay. It's a, it's a fact. I spoke longer than I thought, but I think you're okay. And we've got about 22 minutes for some sharing. So, Rick, please let us know what we do now.